Amen. So we're going to be in Psalm 86 in verse number 11. We're touching back into uh, one of the verses where we were at earlier, but we're going to dig down into uh, there's three essential parts of this verse. So verse number 11, this is a Psalm of David. It says, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Now, the, the part about this, there's three thys in there. Whenever you study the word of God, you look for similarities and you look for the Lord to use the same words in other places. But look what he says. It says, teach me thy way, O Lord. So not my way, not anybody else's way. I don't want to, you know, do it a man's way. I want to understand your way. And whenever we're looking at this passage, what we're going to see is what I call God's sense. Now, it's, it's a little bit different than common sense because God's sense will cause you to walk a little bit different. People will think you're a little bit funny. Think People will think you're a little bit different because God's sense will cause you to walk God's steps. He'll lead you away from the common areas. He'll lead you away from common causes, and he'll set your heart on a consecrated purpose and on a holy path. So sometimes you'll do things that don't make sense to others. You, you may not go to that movie. You may not go to that party. You may not go over here and do this, but you may set your heart on something different. So God's sense is when we begin to allow God to direct our paths. And there's three essential, essential parts of operating in God's sense. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but you probably heard when you were growing up, you know, you didn't have a lick of sense. Maybe that was just me. But, uh, but some, some of us grew up understanding that we didn't have a lick of sense. But you know what? I thank God that whenever you get saved, you get a new nature, you get a new spirit, and God gives you a new mind. And you know what? It's a sanctified mind. And so you can come out of that salvation and out of the infilling of the spirit, even if you didn't have a lick of sense before that, on the other side of the cross, you got the mind of Christ. You got some God sense about you. Amen. Hallelujah for that. Amen. Because I remember times in my life when I kept running the car off the road, if you know what I mean. My life just kept hitting wall after wall after wall. But hallelujah, hallelujah, on the other side of the cross, you can have God sense. So but before we get into the message, understand that there's different senses that people operate in. You know, most Teenagers, right? Don't no, no, they have no lick of sense at all, all right? None. And then you have some folks that, that know how to do stuff. They got some common sense. That's what the politicians need, right? Then you have those rare individuals that have God's sense. That is someone who lives a consecrated life that's going to operate just differently than the world. Are you with me? So notice these three characteristics, and then we're going to dig down and look at some examples of people that have God sense. So number one, the, the number one thing is teach me thy way. That means you must be able to, you must be teachable to have some God sense. You know, one of the, the worst characteristics that you could have is an unteachable spirit. I think back about Peter whenever uh, Jesus came to Peter and Peter had been fishing all day and all night and he'd been fishing and he didn't catch anything and they had already started cleaning the nets and, and Jesus said, look, and Jesus is not a fisherman, he's a carpenter, <laughs> but he comes to him and he says, let's go back out and, and Peter is teachable. He said, okay, Th you know, he didn't understand why, but there was something about the situation that he was willing to listen and, and the number one characteristic before you go down is understand, look, you have to have a teachable spirit in order to be taught. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody that knew it all? How do you think the Lord feels about us sometimes when we think we know it all? When the Lord begins to show us wisdom or begins to challenge us in our area of faith, but we, we know, Lord, that's never going to work. Lord, that's never going to work like that. I mean, can't you see the writing on the wall, Lord? When the Lord begins to challenge us according to our faith or, or to use godly biblical wisdom, but yet if we don't have a teachable spirit, we will never operate at the capacity God has called us to. Can you imagine some of the men and women of the Bible, if they would not have been teachable, how they would have missed God's blessings for their life? 
It is that first step is a teachable spirit. So don't overlook that. He said, teach me, Lord. I don't know it all. I'm coming to you because I don't know it all. I know what I can do with my life, and it's not good. And I understand that it's good to have a multitude of counsel. I understand that. But more than that, I need your wisdom, God. I need you to teach me, God. And see, whenever you see like the Apostle Paul in his life, he never went out and preached until he spent time in the desert with God. He first got taught. Amen? He first got taught. So number one is teach me thy way, O Lord. Number two is I will walk in thy truth. You must be willing to live it out, not just talk it. This is what we always talk about. God's not asking you just to talk the talk. It doesn't do you any good to have church lingo if you're not going to live the lingo. Amen? The, the, you know, it is about living out what you hear and what you say. It is, I will walk in it. Sometimes it may cost me, but I'll do it, Lord, right? Sometimes I'll, it, it may cost me or, you know, sometimes, can you imagine whenever Jesus told Peter to, to go back out to the sea and to cast his net in again. He had already picked the net up, washed it, and folded it. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but nobody likes to fold towels twice. But can you imagine a fishing net having to fold that again? After you already know there's nothing out there in the water, the fish ain't out there tonight. But he was willing to do it. This is, the word, is there a willingness? Number one, are you teachable? Number two, are you willing to walk it out? It takes effort to go to church twice in one day. It takes effort to go to revival services. It takes effort to go and tarry at the altar and pray for an hour. It takes an effort to, to do those things that God calls you to do at home, to, to study the Word of God when nobody else is around, to begin to you know, you know, turn the TV off and get, get on your face before God and get the Spirit of God revived within you. It, it, it takes... It costs something. Are you willing to walk that out? There's a, there's a teachable spirit that is necessary, but then there's that, that, are you a doer of the word as well? Are you a hearer only, or are you also a doer of the word of God? See, God set it up to be so simple, but it's so simple that, that we miss it. It's just a teachable spirit and then a doer, right? Are you a doer? Some of us get satisfied hearing. And I know people that hear and hear and hear and hear, but they never grow. Don't fall into that trap. The devil would love nothing more than for you to hear and hear and hear and hear and hear, but never do. There is a trap. There's, I know people that will say, Pastor, give me a nugget. I need a nugget. You don't need a nugget. You need God. Get off this. I need, drop, drop some wisdom on me, preacher. You don't need that. You need God. You don't need me to get to God. It is about our pursuit of God. That's what changes everything. You can have all the wisdom in the world. I could give you a book. I don't have one, but I could give you a book with, you know, 500 truths of wisdom. That's not going to do you any better than knowing God. But what we need is God. We need God in our lives. I need God so that I know how to be a good husband or how to be a good Father, I need God so that I can know how to be a good employee at my job. Or I need God so that I can deal with traffic. So I don't run people off the road and things like that. We need God in our lives. It's good to have wisdom, but if we're not going to do it under the inspiration of God, what are we doing it for? So we can get a big head? I don't want a big head. Not against big heads, but it's, it's, it's about having God. That's what it's about. Are you with me? So number one, are, are you teachable? Number two, are you walkable? <laughs> Will you live it out? Is it just empty words? Because if it's just empty words, then, then we're no better than James said, a, a man that, that looks at himself in the mirror, walks away, and forgets what he looks like. Does that remind you of sometimes you continually listen to messages and listen to messages, but we don't apply them? And every single one of us have that challenge. It's to actually internalize and receive that word and then act on it. Whenever God gives you a word, he always calls you to act in an area. We always want to respond to the word of God somehow, some way. Apply that thing, right? Grow. Grow in it. That's what it's about. 
So number two is to walk in thy truth. Now, as you heard in our earlier service, it's not your truth. You don't get to walk in your truth and have God's blessing. We're not in a postmodern church. We're not in a postmodern, we don't serve a postmodern God, right? God's truth is eternal, not postmodern. His truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. So when we're talking about God's truth, it's not that you get to pick your way that you want to walk. You have to walk according to his truth, so you need to get in his word and find out what that truth is, right? Truth never changes. It's not, postmodern says, what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. That's the problem with our society. I'm going to be a girl today and a boy tomorrow. That's my truth. That's my world. Well, that's not God's truth. You're a liar. You are whatever God born you as, <laughs> right? So we don't, we don't get to pick our own reality. It is about knowing God's truth and walking that truth out. Now, here's the challenge. Look at number three. He says, unite, look at that, unite my heart to fear thy name. What, what, is, what does it mean to fear God's name? It means to operate in reverence toward God. And what he's saying is, God, unite my heart to that so that I will have courage to do whatever you've called me to do. You've taught me, and I'm willing, but I might be a little bit afraid. You've taught me, and I'm willing, but once I see, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Jesus, well, we're picking on Peter, so we'll pick on him a little bit more. Jesus tells Peter, come on out here to the sea. Peter's in the boat. Jesus is standing on the water, and Jesus tells Peter, come on out. Well, Peter, we know is teachable. He's willing, but he goes, uh. He needs that courage. He needs to fear him alone. So on Christ's word, he stood. He actually walked on water because he feared God's word more than the circumstance. But he began to sink, right, whenever he took his eyes off of Christ. Well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about reverencing God more or fearing God more than the situation. More than the situation. This is how you get God sense. Common sense will tell you. Common sense will tell you. If there's a giant in the land, you need the king's armor to face that giant. Common sense will tell you that. But David had God sense. David feared God alone. He didn't fear Goliath. He feared God alone. And so when the battle came, he listened to that still small voice and he said, I can't do that. And as soon as he took the king's armor off, that still small voice said, go down to that brook and get those five stones. Now, what we see in that is it makes no common sense at all. If, if, if David's brothers were around, they would have said, you don't have a lick of sense. You need that armor, right? David didn't operate in in, in a common sense way, because that was not the way you go into battle against Goliath. There was not one man that would stand up to that giant, not one. But little David, he was just still a, a teenager, they say. He was still a child, and he was the only one that would stand. But it wasn't common sense. He had God sense. It, ca it caused him, listen, to be teachable according to God's truth. It caused him to be willing to do whatever was necessary and you got to say, he had some courage. You got to say, he feared God because he said, who are you, right? Who defies the God of Israel? Who defies the God of Israel? That means he feared God more than that giant. And you know that there's times in our lives, there's times in our lives when God's sense will take you on, on the path God has for you so much quicker than you could ever imagine. There's times in our life where we, there's a calling that we miss because we're either not teachable, not willing, or we don't have the right courage. And, and if you miss in those things, you won't be walking or operating in the God sense. So there's times that God will put things in your life that are a challenge. You don't get exempt from that just because you're a New Testament Christian. <laughs> 
You don't get, you don't, it's not about getting as comfortable as you can and getting as squishy as you can and just staying by the fire nice and tucked in. That's not God's desire for you. God's desire is to use you. And if God's going to use you in a world that hates God, there's going to be some kinds of pushback in the things that God calls you to do. There's going to be people that look at you weird at the workplace because you don't do what they do. There's going to be people that mock you or make fun of you because you don't go where they go. There's going to be decisions that you make because you're listening to God that don't make sense to the world, but God's called you to do it, and you'd rather honor him, please him, love him, and follow him than have the accolades of any person, and that's what God's sense is. It, it defies logic it defies common sense it is what god calls you to walk in god sense so a couple of examples of of, of god sense that well i gave you one kind of right david had god sense would you agree with that david had god sense he was willing he was willing to be taught you can look at that over his life even when he made his most egregious error in his life with, with bathsheba he was willing to listen. The prophet came to him, Nathan came to him and, and told him, look, you're the man. And you know what he did? He stopped, cold, dead, stopped everything. He knew that that man of God was right. It takes a lot for us to admit wrong. You have to be teachable to say, you know what? I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew what I was doing, but I didn't. And I'm willing to be corrected, Lord. That takes a lot. It means you're teachable. Amen? And we obviously know from even the story with Goliath that, that David was uh, willing to do, and he had some courage, right? He had some courage. So let's look at one. Go, to, go with me to Joshua chapter 5 real, real quick. Joshua chapter 5. Let's look at in, in his life. Joshua chapter 5. Just an example of some God sense. We'll look at verse number 13. So Joshua is leading the nation of Israel. He really didn't have a lot of training. And Moses, who, who was his trainer, is no longer alive. So Joshua has to really learn on the fly. He's got to be in tune to God's spirit. He's got to be willing to listen. And notice what happens in verse 13. Now, this is before, now, if, if, if you're not familiar with the passage, that Joshua takes the nation of Israel into the promised land, but in the promised land, there's problems. There will always be problems in the promised land until Jesus comes and rules on a throne in Jerusalem. There'll always be problems in the promised land. You'll always have issues. Issues. So here, notice what happens. Jo Joshua is bringing the whole nation, the very first problem that they have in the promised land is Jericho, the biggest city, the biggest wall, the biggest enemy. The biggest battle. Now, look at verse 13. It says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Are thou for us, are thou for our adversaries? And he, and he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? So here, I want you to get a picture of this. Joshua is about to lead the nation into battle. Can you imagine this man? He's, he's probably walking around. He, he's looking at this big, huge city with big, huge walls. You, you know what I'm talking about? Big problem. Looks impassable. It looks like there's no, there's no way that we can cross over that. That's a problem that's too big for us. 
And he's probably out there just kind of, you know, rubbing his chin and got his hand on his hip. He's just trying to figure out, okay, we got across the sea. We're in the promised land. Now what, Lord? Now, I mean, how am I supposed to get these people, this ragtag army, how am I supposed to get us? How are we supposed to do this? And he's probably just trying to think. And he sees Jesus. He sees the captain of the Lord's army. And, and, and he has this conversation. It's a pre, pre-incarnate uh, epiphany of Jesus, a vision of Jesus. And, and he says, he, after he falls down in worship, he says, what do you say to me? That shows that he's teachable. He didn't say, well, you know, you might be the captain of the Lord's army, but I'm the captain of Israel. You know, I'm the one calling the shots on this thing, and it's going to go the way I want it to go. He didn't say that. Now, it might look a little bit ludicrous, but there's some times in our lives that we're not teachable, and we know that we should stop and ask for directions from the Lord, but we don't. I got this. I mean, I I know what to do. I've done it a hundred times, but you might have been doing it wrong a hundred times. I mean, sometimes we just need to stop and, and get alone with God and, and get back into that place of God's sense. It, it's not going to do us a lick of good to operate without a lick of sense. When God is ready, willing, and, and, and ready to pour into us God's sense. If you're teachable, if you're willing, and if you'll have some faithful courage, God will use you. God will lead you. Now, what happened in this battle? God, God told Joshua, march, march around the city seven times, right? Is that what he said? But, but how, do we, how, how do we knock the walls down? March around and worship? Yes, Lord, but how do we knock the walls down, Lord? You march around in worship. I, I understand you want me to worship you, Lord, but how do I win the battle, Lord? You walk around it and you worship you see, some of us, we wouldn't catch it. Some of us, we, that would go right over our head. You mean I'm supposed to worship through this battle? Yep. There's some times that, that you may not have all the answers, and you, you look, there is nothing that you have in your arsenal that will take that thing down. But if you'll begin to worship the Lord, you'll see the walls fall. That's what Joshua was told. And because he was teachable and willing and he had courage, because look, you go out and you march around a city, you, they could be shooting arrows at you. They could be trying to take you out. But it obviously didn't, it didn't look, you know, fearful to them. They obviously weren't threatened by Israel worshiping around their city. But yet the walls came down. You see, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, who honestly would say, now that was smart. Walk around the city and worship, and then the walls will come. That, that's not common sense. That's not smart. That's not strategic military practice, right? It's not. But what is it? It's God's sense. It means you're getting on God's side. It means you're getting in line with the Lord. It's the same thing as, as David hurling a rock at Goliath. This giant of a man with all this armor in front of all that. Look, you miss what you got. All you got's a rock. You don't have it on any armor. And, and you're going to fling that rock. He, most people would say, I'm not going to do that, Lord, because he'll probably, you know, catch it between his teeth and then throw it back at me. But do you know that as soon as David flung that rock, that the Spirit of God took over? The Spirit of God took that rock and implanted it exactly where it needed to go. And when you begin to operate with God's sense, it doesn't matter how small or minute whatever you have is. When you give it to God and you begin to operate in God's sense, the Spirit of God will take over whatever you have and he will hit the target with it. And so Joshua here, there's no common sense to doing what he did, but he followed directions, and he had courage to do it. And you know, the walls came down, didn't they? The walls came down. It was one of the greatest victories in the history of Israel, and it was through worship. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's some, some battles that you may face. God may tell you, don't talk to them. 
Don't call them. Don't text them. Don't, you know, don't talk about them on Facebook and, you know, secretly how people do. Don't, don't be passive aggressive with them on Facebook. Don't, don't do any of that kind of stuff. Just worship. Just get your eyes on Jesus. Just worship and let the Spirit of God go to, well, that's not going to work, Lord, because they won't know how I feel. Let God work. Let God work. It's, it is better that God work for us and through us than we begin to manipulate situations on our own. That's what we need, right? So... Let me tell you about another person that had some God sense, Ananias. Ananias. Go with me to the book of Acts. This, this, this one is one of my favorite passages about God sense. Book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to go to verse number 10. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 10. So we, we see that God will definitely lead us to situations that appear naturally to have no common sense at all. Are, are you willing to do that? Are you re really willing for the Lord to lead you to do something that makes no sense? Because that, I'm, you're going to see, as we go through this message, you're going to see that that exact thing is, is really a hallmark of every man or woman of God in the Bible. It really is. There's, there's a thread, a vein of, of this God sense that defies common sense. It defies logic, and it is at work in every single man or woman's life that God uses. And, and, and sometimes we're just too whatever in our society today to do something that doesn't make sense in the natural right well that just don't make sense in the natural lord i mean i gotta do this i gotta have this so that i can have that right that's that's how we do well if i don't do that lord then it's never gonna do this come on god is able god is able he is capable of doing whatever is necessary but do you have the faith to believe that do you have the faith to believe that watch this Ananias, I love this passage because it's just beautiful. He, Ananias had a, a, I mean, he should get more, um, he should get more sermons about him. I, I, I'm honest, he should. Look, look at, in, in Acts chapter 9, verse number 10, it says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. Now, before this, on the road to Damascus, Saul gets saved, <laughs> right? Ananias don't know that. Ananias is home in his comfortable bed. And, but he's heard that this, this evil person named Saul who throws Christians in prison and even some of them die or murdered, he heard that guy's coming here, Right? So he's in, in bed, and here's, you know, sometimes you need to listen because the Lord may call you to wake up and pray or do something. But he, he calls to Ananias, and Ananias says, okay, here I am, Lord. I'm ready. It's, I, I think some of us, right? How, how many of you know that there's some people that if, if the Lord asked you to pray for them, you'd take a big gulp? That one? <laughs> Lord, don't you know what they did to me last year? D don't you know... The confrontation that we had and all this kind of stuff, right? Because it's easy. The Lord asks you to pray for somebody that you don't know and that you're never going to see again. Okay, Lord. Fine. Okay, yes. But the Lord wakes you up out of sleep and calls you to pray for somebody that you've had issues with and you've, you know, well, you're never going to see me again. <laughs> and the Lord tells you to go and apologize <laughs> and pray for them. You might take a big gulp or, you know, so here, Ananias is, is woken up, and he said, okay, here I am, Lord. Look what the Lord says in the next verse. The Lord said unto him, arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. 
for behold, he prayed. And he seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now, I believe at that time Ananias probably was like, what? He probably took a big gulp, fear, you know, that uneasy feeling in the stomach because he began to plead with the Lord. He was like, but, but don't, don't you know? He probably stuttered, you know. But, but don't you know who that is? Like, you want me to go pray for him? Because I've heard what he's done, right? But the Lord said, no, I want you to go and pray for him. You know what Ananias did? He got some God sense. He was teachable. He was willing. And then he feared God more than Saul. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Ananias lived that out. I mean, Saul was one of the greatest persecutors of Christians. And Ananias feared God more than Saul. And so he went. He went. I, I, I love it. I, I have uh, um, underlined in my Bible in verse 17, it says, and Ananias went. He went and he did his job. He prayed for Saul. He got his sight back. He got baptized and he became an apostle. But the, the, the link that most people miss is that it took a man that had God sense, courage, and faith to go pray for him. Because God gave Paul that vision when he had none. God gave him a vision when he was blind and said, one of these Christians is going to come pray for you. What would have happened to the apostle Paul had a Christian never come? But Ananias had that God sense, that boldness, that willingness, and that teachable spirit that he went. It says in verse 17, and Ananias went. I love that. I love that. Could the Lord use you in that way? Would you be able to be teachable? Would you be a doer and would you have courage to operate in if the Lord called you to do something? Could it be said of you and he went or and she went? Like the Lord challenges you to do something that may cost you something may cost you reputation, may cost you financially, it may cost whatever. It may be scary, it may be a challenge, it may be a step out of the boat onto the water where you may sink, but are you willing? And, and if you are, could it be said of you when the Lord asked you to go that you went, right? Because some of us were not. Some of us aren't. Some of us were not ready for that part yet. But I believe God is calling the church to operate in God's sense in this generation. This society needs desperately to see men and women that operate in God's sense. They know what denominationalism looks like. They know what a form of religion looks like. They know what it looks like to go through the motions or to be Pharisees or to be money changers and hold people's pocketbooks out. They know all that, but have they seen someone operate in God's sense? I know this don't make sense to you, but the Lord told me to come over here and pray for you. This is a conversation Ananias probably had. I, I know this may sound weird, but is there a guy named Saul in there that's blind? Because the Lord told me to come and pray. Well, that's just crazy because that don't happen that often. What happened to Peter? Peter got a vision of Cornelius' house. Peter goes and there a guy named Cornelius here? Because I, I got a vision that I'm supposed to come pray. God does this. You might say, well, I haven't seen this. Probably because you got too much common sense and not enough God sense. You begin to operate in God sense, God will be using you. God will be calling you to pray for somebody. God, will be call you, God may even ask you to call somebody up on the phone and just tell them that God loves them. Well, they know that, Lord. Yeah, but they need to hear it right now. Well, they, they know that you love them, God. I mean, I, I know they went to church last year, but you don't know what they're going through right now, and they need to hear it. If God wanted to, he wouldn't have to use us. But the way that he set up the kingdom and the way that he established the kingdom is to use men and women. That's how he set it up. Don't you think that God could have went down to Pharaoh and said, let my people go himself, but he chose to use Moses. 
Don't you think God could have built an ark himself, but he chose to use Noah? I mean, God could have done it all himself. He could have, but he chose to operate through people. And see, we have so much common sense, we don't have God sense anymore. We don't get used by God. And then we wonder why we don't get used by God. So watch this. Go, go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to close right here. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, I, I, I got a couple of, I got a couple of, of people here. I'm just going to run through these while you're turning. Stephen. Stephen was a person who operated in God's sense. The Bible tells of him that he was not only full of the Holy Ghost, but he was full of faith. And he told, he told the people that crucified Jesus to their face just how rotten they were and that all of the testimony of Scripture was against them. And he told them so spirit-filled that they didn't clap. They hurled rocks at him. A lot of times you're like, well, oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I mean, why is nothing working? Well, maybe it's because when you, when you do what you're supposed to do according to God, it may be rubbing the world the wrong way. Stephen could have felt sorry for himself. Well, Lord, I preached the best sermon I could have possibly had. They're not clapping. I mean, they're, they're not throwing tomatoes. They're throwing rocks. He didn't think like that. He was full of faith in the Holy Ghost. So they began to throw rocks. He began to look into heaven. And he saw Jesus standing. They say Jesus gave him a standing ovation. Jesus was so excited, so proud of this man operating in God's sense. He literally got a, a vision. He literally saw Jesus give him a standing ovation from heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you see, people today, you begin, well, I, you know what? I, 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 I taught Sunday school. Nobody said it was good. Maybe they're worldly. Think about that. Maybe you challenged them. You think about that? You know, so you, you, you got to operate in faith, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, because what you're doing, it may not make sense to the world. Do what God's called you to do and let God handle the issues. Let God handle everything. Let God let the things go the way he wants them to go. He just needs you to be a vessel. And if you're a vessel, it doesn't matter how things go. If they would have clapped and cheered for Stephen, then I think that would have been fine with him too. It was fine. He got, he got to go home early. He got to go home early. I think he was fine either way. He was fine either way. He didn't, you know, because some people, if the results don't happen the way they want them to happen, they get mad. Well, you know what, Lord? I've been doing this for 10 years, and nothing's changed. And, you know, I pray for my spouse, and things get worse. And I pray for my, you know, my kids, and things get worse. And, I, you know, and it goes on and on and on. But wait, just do what God's called you to do. Operate in faith and watch God work. It may get worse before it gets better, but stay full of faith. Watch this. Stephen's one, obviously, right? I think Stephen had some God sense. He had some courage. What about Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Does it make sense to go up against 5,000? <laughs> Does it make sense to go up against all those? And look, and he said, hey, you know what? Put poor Walter, pour water on this. And let's see, let's see whose altar, whose sacrifice God ignites with fire. That didn't make that didn't make sense at all. That didn't make any kind of sense. Elijah was a kind of a, a wild hare, though. He was he was a strange guy. But he had God sense. Right? He did what God called him to do. Sometimes it don't make sense, but it's what God called him to do. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? What about Moses going to Pharaoh, right? I kind of highlighted that a little bit, but what about that? Hey, Pharaoh, 
I know you got all those slaves. Theologians will tell you over a million people. I know you got all those slaves, but God said, let my people go. That don't make sense at all. That don't make sense at all. But God did it. Well, what if he would have got discouraged after that first round of no? Or the second round? Or the third? Or the fourth? Or the fifth? Or the sixth? Or the seventh? Or the eighth? Or the ninth? Or the... Look, it's because he had God's sense. He didn't fear Pharaoh. He feared God. Unite my heart to fear thy name. He did not fear what Pharaoh would do to him or God's people. He feared God more than Pharaoh. It didn't matter what Pharaoh did. And it didn't matter how many times he said no. He was just simply doing what God told him to do. Now here we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Paul is encouraging his son in the faith. He's reminding him. This is, one of, this is the last letter he's writing to his son in the faith, and he's getting him stirred up. He's making sure that he's on fire, and, and he's right. Look what he says. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, fear, fear is when it's, when you fear people or circumstances, situations, society, when you fear what the world may do to you or you fear those kinds of things, it is not from God. God didn't give you that fear. God didn't give you that fear. God gave you peace. God didn't give you that fear. So when, when, when David sees Goliath, he has no fear because he has God. When Joshua is called to march around Jericho, he had no fear because he had God. When Moses was called to go to Pharaoh, he had no fear because he had God. And whatever God calls you or I to do, we must do it without fear and full of God. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. So if, if there's fear in our lives, we've got to get that out. We've got to get a hold of God. And when you get a hold of God, fear will leave. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to fear man and God at the same time. You're just not going to do it. You're going to have to choose who you revere more. You got to choose who you're going to revere more. What he says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but if there's three things here: power, love, and a sound mind. I'm just going to talk talk briefly on these things. This is this is the hallmark of God's sense. This is a this is a New Testament carryover of of what it means to operate in God's sense. God doesn't give us fear, spirit of fear. What does He give us? Power, power to do what? Power is the ability. He gives you the ability. In Christ, listen, in Christ, you have the ability to do whatsoever God puts in front of you. You have the power. There is nothing that is impossible for God's people. All things are possible for those that believe. There is no mountain that faith cannot move. Power comes from God. And when you get full of the Spirit of God, God will give you the ability to do whatever He's called you to do. You may think, I can't, Lord. I can't. No, you can't and you never could, but God can in you. If you're who you used to be before the cross, yes. But if you know who you are in Christ, you know it's not you that lives anymore, but it's Christ that lives in you according to Galatians 2, verse 20. It is not I that live anymore, but it is Christ that lives in me. And so it's not about what I can or cannot do, but it's about what God can do. And God can do all things. That's why Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I can do it. I can. 
You may not want to go that extra mile. You may not want to turn the other cheek. You may not want to do what God's called you to do, but you can do it in Christ who strengthens you because it's not about your power or your ability. It's about your surrenderability to Christ. The power comes from him. This is why Jesus told the disciples, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. It is the ability to do whatever I put in front of you. You wait. Don't go out there in your own strength. Don't go out there when you're not full of God. Don't go out there until the Spirit of God comes upon you. Then go and you'll be able to do whatever I put in front of you. Don't go out there in your own strength. Don't go out there with your head down. Get full of God and go with God. God will give you the power to do whatever he's called you to do. What's the next one? Love. That means the desire and the ability to do it right. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. That means as a New Testament believer, full of the Spirit of God, you have the ability, the ability to love the unlovable. You have the ability to love those that despise you that use you, that talk bad about you, that are enemies in the natural. But God is calling you to not use common sense, but God's sense. And when, this, when God's love is operating in your life, you will begin to do things that don't make sense naturally. You'll forgive when you want to wring their neck. Amen. You'll call them up and tell them you're sorry when you didn't do anything wrong. You'll take time and be patient even though your natural patience has run out. If I've told them once, I've told them a thousand times and I'm not going to do it again. And then the love of God begins to rise in you and you begin to look with eyes of compassion. What did Jesus over and over and over in, in his first advent when he would see people, it said he was moved with compassion. And it says, and he had compassion on them. This is why he wept. This is why he wept whenever Lazarus was in that tomb. And Lazarus' sisters thought they were never going to see him again. Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he had compassion on their sorrow. He could have obviously said, what's wrong with y'all? I'm going to raise him from the dead. Get over it. Watch this right? He could have said, watch this, stop crying, but he didn't do that. Why? It was the love of God just pouring out. Look, you don't have to listen to people. You don't have to listen to people, but the love of God will. Ooh. You don't have to be patient with people, but the love of God will. You don't have to give somebody a second chance, a third chance, or a fourth chance. But the love of God will. The love of God will give people chance after chance after chance after chance. The love of God, right? It, it is the Bible. Whenever Paul was writing in the book of Romans, he said that no height, no depth, no principality, nothing can separate us from the love of God. What causes you to withhold God's love from, toward others? See, here's the problem. Most people don't have God's love, so they don't have anything to give others. You first have to get the love of God in your life before you can begin to share that with others. It's one of the secrets of marriage. Yes. You, 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 don't, know what it's, you don't know how to love somebody until you know how to love God. So you know you're loved by God, and then you love God, you'll never know what it's like or how you're supposed to love somebody else. Well, how many times have you messed up? Then you won't worry about whenever they mess up. It, it, the, the flow just goes from the throne into your life and from your life and into others. This is God's sense. It don't make, it don't make common sense, but it's God's sense to love those that don't love you back. To do for those that don't do for you. To forgive those that would never forgive you. To be patient with those 
that get on your everlast nerve. Only God could get you to do that. You might be saying, well, you get on my last nerve, Pastor. <laughs> then operate in God's love. <laughs> Show me some of that, right? Extend some of that. And what's the last one? The sound mind. This is the three keys to God's sense. Last one, sound mind. What does that mean? I mean, you got musical notes in between your ears? No. Same word here is also used in the story of the prodigal son. You remember whenever the prodigal son came home and, 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 and the servants went to go get the elder brother and they said, hey, we're having a party. Your brother's come home. It says in, 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 in chapter 15, verse 27, it says, your brother is safe and sound. What does that mean? Whole, whole. God gives you a whole mind. That means that you don't have any, any at all, any fear going on. That means you have complete peace and soundness of mind. You don't have anxiety. You don't have anxious thoughts. You're not stressed out. You're not worried. You're not frantic. But what are you? You're at peace. You have a sound mind. You know God is on the throne. God is in control. And the victory belongs to you because you belong to Jesus. And when you know the victory belongs to you because you belong to Jesus, then you can have a sound mind about whatever happens. Then you can say, well, you know what? I, can't hand, I don't know about that and I don't know about this, but I know God's in it. And I know God's got me and I know it's going to be okay. Lord may take me home. Lord may have me tarry. I don't know, but I know it's going to be okay because I'm his and he is mine. And he gives a peace. And Jesus even said, he said, my peace give I unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. You know, the peace that Jesus gives us is a peace that, that Paul said passes all understanding. God will give you peace when you're facing a Goliath. Or a Jericho. God will give you peace when you're facing like Ananias. And, and, and he was like, you mean you really want me to go pray for Saul? Can you imagine that? Lord, you know, I got I to gotta work tomorrow and you're going to wake me up out of sleep and ask me to go pray for that Saul guy? Really? Like me? You're picking me to do this? But with God's sense, there's peace. Once the Lord says, yes, I want you to do it, I'm calling you to do it, and Ananias went. Do you think he was going, oh, oh, oh? No. A man or woman of God that's operating in God's sense has the boldness and courage of God. God's sense is what we need to operate in in the world today. God's sense, it is fearing God more than the situation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.